Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is also brought to you by Second City. What better way to introduce confidence to young people than by providing them a safe space to be themselves at Second City Comedy Camps. There's an early registration discount available if you enroll by December 1st for winter Second City Comedy Camps for your kids. Visit secondcity.com slash TC for more info and to register. Elamine Abdul Mahmoud. Hello. Editor of News Curation for BuzzFeed. That's me. Welcome back. Thanks, me. Elamine, today we are going to talk about this awesome collaborative journalism project where Canada's two biggest newspaper chains got together, joined forces to kill 30 of each other's newspapers and then lie about it. Teamwork makes the dream work. We are going to talk about Viceland. It used to be a TV channel. And we are going to talk about how if Post Media is going to go down, they are going to damn well go down denying climate change. Got to stand for something. Good to have you with me. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. 
This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Neil McKegney, Randolph Swire, Kelly Pratt, Banerjee, Greg Atkinson, Brian Cox, Emily Dyer, and Jack Lehman. I'm Jack Lehman, worker-owner of Come As You Are Cooperative in Toronto, Canada. Canada Land manages to shine a light where others just don't. And you all make shit kind of funny, relevant, and interesting to boot. Even if literally all of you are wrong about what's wrong with CBC Radio. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Elamine, can I talk to you about boxes of food? I think you're going to anyway. I am. HelloFresh sends you a beautiful insulated box. It's weird because it's food, but it feels like you're unboxing some amazing like product from Apple. It's beautifully arranged, so the cold stuff is near the ice packs, and then the other stuff is kept away from the freezing, and then you've got just enough of each ingredient, and then you go and you cook, and you got you got what you need in 30 minutes to make a beautiful meal for your family, and they just, they just send this to your house. That sounds wonderful. It is wonderful, and it stops you from all of the irritating parts of cooking, like standing there in the supermarket going up and down aisles trying to figure out what to, what to buy, buying things you don't need, buying too much of things. If this sounds good, if you have heard me or other podcasts or friends talking about meal kit services, HelloFresh is the meal kit service you should give this a shot with. And you got no reason not to because you get 50% off of your first box when you visit HelloFresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. So I think it took a moment for us to realize just how shitty the news was this week for Canadian newspapers. I think part of that is because the way that Toronto Star's newspapers, the Metro newspapers, um, headline this, Tour Star and Post Media announced 41 newspaper deal. Yep. That I, sounds like that could be great. That uh, has like the star emoji beside it. You know what I mean? Like just like it's just like a glittery headline. Yeah. 41 yeah. newspaper deal. deal. Wheeling and dealing in the newspaper business. 41 newspapers. I'm excited. That could be good. And then you read it. Not good. And at least at Post Media, we'll, we'll, we'll say a lot of things about Post Media today, but at least they were honest in their headline. Newspaper swap will see titles close their doors. Essentially, Elamine, what they did was they looked at all these markets where Torstar has one community paper and Post Media has a community paper, and they're both struggling. And they said, hey, let's not fight. You take Sarnia, we'll take Ottawa. Right. And they carved up Ontario. And basically said, we will make more money or at least we will lose money at a slower rate if we create a series of regional newspaper monopolies. That's right. So, you know, in Barrie, for example, they had, what was it, the Advance and the Examiner and then they shut down one and then they're, you know, keeping the other one alive? We'll talk in a minute about whether or not that makes sense. And it might make sense. Yeah. But I want to talk first, you know, we're going to talk about how this was presented in the media. And I think that just the sheer dishonesty with which this was communicated is worth uh, a little bit of attention. Here is Paul Godfrey, the CEO of Post Media, Million Dollar Man, presenting this information on Business News Network. We didn't know what they were going to do, and they didn't know what we were going to do. We basically uh, wanted to consolidate our uh, footprint, so we uh, asked uh, uh, Torstar whether uh, they were interested in, in doing this. Um, but it was only today that I found out what they were doing and they found out what we were doing. I just found out today. Surprise. Yeah, look, I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I knew that I was going to kill all their newspapers as soon as I got them, but I didn't know that they were going to kill all of mine. I mean, it was, you know, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a paper in Barry where you already got a paper. What do I know? Maybe you'll run both papers. 
the insults to the intelligence of the public there is like pretty remarkable. It's incredibly cynical. You know, like it just feels like an incredibly cynical kind of move to do this. Like I had no idea. We had no idea what the other side was going to do. <laughs> and obviously what's happening here is that we purposely did not ask – like it's not written in the deal because if it was written in the deal that we're making a deal to kill over 30 newspapers, we would have antitrust issues with the Competition Bureau. And when they announced this, Post Media in their news release said, this transaction is not subject to the merger notification provisions of the Competition Act and no regulatory clearance is required to close this transaction. So yeah, that's interesting. And they, and they, they had this whole case all laid out. Like this is, this is, we value this deal. Like they could put any imaginary number they want on it because it was a no cash deal. It's just a trade of newspapers. Under $88 million, we don't need Competition Bureau permission for this. It's not a Competition Bureau thing. So... We called out the Competition Bureau. Robert Hiltz, reporting for Canada Land, called up the Competition Bureau. And they said, well, yeah, if they're going to say it's under $88 million, they don't need pre-approval. But we're definitely investigating this. Like, you're not <laughs> supposed to. Like, that is monopoly tactics. Right. And really, it's not that they're saying that we don't need regulatory clearance or approval. Like, maybe they don't need pre-clearance. It's not that this isn't an antitrust issue. It's that they know that the Competition Bureau is toothless and has rolled over every time in the past when it comes to media consolidation in Canada, which has just been disastrous. The Competition Bureau has provided no obstacle, ultimately. And they're saying, we, 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 we'll get away with it. Have we seen something of this scale, though? Like, there's no newspaper advertisement in eastern Canada that isn't post-media at this point. Like, is that, can you even, can the Competition Bureau not look into this? We're going to do a whole Canada land on this. We're going to talk to somebody yeah. who, who focuses on media consolidation because there's a, a long history of this that goes – I mean, Godfrey in that same interview brings up post-media acquired son and everyone said, well, you're obviously just doing this to kill competition. No, no, no. We think that this is – we can keep both papers going. We'll, we'll own two papers in one market. It'll be great. And then they just very quickly – the two papers were just branded differently and with the exact same content and, and then they started killing newspapers, exactly what people feared. And that took like – Eight or nine months. Like, it didn't even take a year. Oh, my God. And then, you know, th there's a history that goes back beyond that. John Tory's dad, John A. Tory, was under investigation for uh, antitrust stuff when the Southam and Thompson newspaper chains were up to the same business. And the Competition Bureau rolled over there, too, ultimately. Why does Golden Tree Assets, this vulture fund, uh, not supposed to have a, a U.S company owning Canadian newspaper chains, and Godfrey finagled this crazy deal. This is why this is all happening. I mean, this is the thing, is that once we get past the optics of this, which are just terrible, you could say, like, look, they're doing what they got to do to survive. And that might be true of Torstar, but Post Media is doing what they got to do to make these massive interest payments on their, like, mobster loan that they I think, got. I think that was letting Torstar off the hook a little bit easy, them doing what they got to do. I mean, like, Kieran Delmont had a good tweet about this, about how this is essentially just handing over 290 jobs to be fired by someone else. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really what it feels like. Well, yeah, 290 people have lost their jobs, 46 at Torstar, 244 at Post Media, though it's hard to track because it's like, you're, right. I'll fire your guys, you fire my guys. Correct. Post Media, at least from the, like, Godfrey was claiming he had no idea what was going to happen. At least Post Media's official messaging on this, their spokesperson said, this transaction helps to preserve jobs in areas that simply cannot sustain multiple products any longer. At least they're saying, okay, like, like these markets can't have multiple newspapers. They're being honest about the fact that, like, yeah, this was a deal to stop competition. You know, maybe these communities can only sustain one newspaper. That might just be a hard fact that we all have to swallow. Right. But the way that this was handled for the people laid off is with 
predictable, ham-fisted, inhumane, people learning about this from press releases from their own newspapers or from other people's newspapers. Oh, my God. In Kingston, the Kingston Heritage and the Frontenac Gazette, two weeklies, people just showed up to work on Monday and the doors were locked. They just, yeah. they just couldn't get into the place where they had been working. This is sad shit, man. Here's a tweet from Jordan Heath Rawlings, a journalist who said, I'm about to quote a sentence from one of these releases that sums up the reality of daily newspaper journalism so perfectly it nearly leaves me in tears. And here's the quote. Torstar will also close the free dailies 24 hours Toronto and 24 hours Vancouver, a move that will result in the loss of one job. Wow. Yeah, that's heavy. And that's why journalists are really sad about this. I don't think the public's so sad. We stopped caring about a lot of these newspapers. A lot of these community newspapers have been so gutted of what makes a community news what, what makes you care about a community newspaper if there's if there's like actual diligent coverage of your local community and local government or if there's like a local you know columnist that you really like or they're actually paying attention you know and it's just being replaced with wire copy aggregated stories in the case of the metro papers torstar aggregated content ads 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 like what are people supposed to care when these papers disappear? You know, I, that, that's harsh. There are still people there who just lost their jobs who are saying, excuse me, I was in that paper. And I, they were fighting the good fight against uh, management that was just squeezing the product to the point where its death matters as little as it ever has to the readerships. Say that. That's brutal. I think that's a brutal way of putting it. When you publish less of a paper than you ever have before and you publish less original local content than you ever have before, then – the community engagement is lower than it ever has. So, I mean, I'm of two minds about this. Like, I, 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 I feel like it's bad to lose journalism in your community, but there is an unfed market demand that I don't think it's going to it's going to continue to be hard for upstarts to launch successful products in these markets as long as these companies that don't give a damn about these communities are still operating at all. But I mean, so here's the thing, is that the quality of the product is certainly a large large part of the discussion. But the other part of the discussion here is, what do these companies do to sort of introduce a new business model um, in the last decade, say, of adjusting to digital advertising to cater to marketing within those local communities so that those papers can be a part of that conversation? The answer is nothing, right? The answer is absolutely nothing. Why are you smiling? I mean, they just didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough time. Listen to what Paul Godfrey later said. I think if we had a, a five-year runway where we could develop some digital uh, transformation into the digital world so we could compete with Google and Facebook, then there is some, there is some hope. Elamine, Paul Godfrey, who's only 93 years old. I don't know. He's, I'm sorry. He's 108 years old. Uh, he had a plan. All he needed was five more years of runway, which the government was supposed to give him. Instead, they slammed the door. They slammed the door on poor Paul Godfrey's face. Paul Godfrey sometimes, listen, I don't want to be mean about Paul Godfrey, but I'm going to be. But sometimes he just sounds like, like a cartoon villain who at the end is like foiled again by the digital advertising. And and it just sounds so absurd. Like that quote, it's quite laughable. You had so much time and so much runway to offer a digital product that could keep up with the demand for advertising on Facebook, on Google, 
that newspapers could be a part of, but they just have not developed such a product. That is uh, simply not true. Uh, National Post has invested. They had the four platform plan. They had a brilliant guy named Chris Tyndall doing this thing called Post Media Labs. They were doing all kinds of innovation, skunkworks, research into digital. And wait, oh, wait, they, they closed the Post Media Labs. Where, where's Chris Tyndall? Oh, he's working with you at BuzzFeed. I didn't want to mention that. Right, he's at BuzzFeed. This is the big lie of the post. Like, like I'm not kicking a company that's just like struggling to stay alive. The cynical play, post media can't say it enough, is that they stopped, they stopped trying to really transition and basically entered into a relationship where they are going to slowly wind down the business and sell it off for parts. And Paul Godfrey's job is to lie about that. Yes. His job is to present this as like, look, I'm doing my best here. I'm trying to do it. Like, and then defend his salary, like why he's worth a million dollars. And he kind of said it to CTV the same, you know, the same day of, of interviews about this. They said, so isn't it kind of shitty that you're getting this like million dollar salary while you're laying off all these people? And he said, I'm an experienced executive. I, there are very few in the newspaper business. But then he said, if they got rid of me, who else are they going to get? Who do you think is going to come to an industry that's having trouble to survive. Right? To come to this shitty dying business. To manage this tire fire. Yeah. Yeah. Because the point is not that they would need an innovative steward who can actually make the transition. This is a shit job of being the public fit. Like, like you have to misrepresent this while you sell off real estate, lay off jobs, squeeze whatever revenue you can out of what's still making any money at all. But this is, okay. We, we, so, but here's the thing. Yeah. Is that... There's a philosophical nugget at heart here, which is that at the end of the day, we're expecting companies whose allegiances are to the shareholders to be beholden to local news markets. And I think there's there's an error in that thinking. There's an error in that thinking that they'll ever choose the right thing over the shareholders, mostly because I have a legal duty to the shareholders. And so at the end of the day, it's like, how are we going to make money? The only way to make money is to do this shitty thing. They will always choose the shareholders over civic responsibility. Good local yeah, I agree right. with you, yeah. but, but you know, in a perfect world, the interest of the shareholders in making money and the interest of the newspapers in staying alive and having a viable business would be would be compatible. Uh, in the case of Post Media, the way they have structured their business, it is no longer compatible. In the case of Torstar, this is a a a, a company that if they stop paying dividends to their shareholders above a certain level for a certain amount of time, then non-voting shares can become voting shares. And this publicly traded company is no longer going to be controlled by this, this family. And instead, people are going to say like, look, maybe this isn't a business that can make the crazy profits that you enjoyed for decade after decade. Is there still a business to be salvaged here? And, and let's throw aside the uh, civic responsibility. Let's say like, we, we just want to make money. Let's just say that that's what they're after. If that's what they were after, they would be behaving differently. You know what I mean? Like, like I still don't know what their strategy is. We're going to park this for now because I want to talk to somebody. Like, what, what I, I'm embarrassed to say is that for all the conversations about journalism I've had on the show, I've had, like, very little, maybe once, talk to somebody on the business end of newspapers. I want to get some clarity and educate myself. Is it still possible to run a much smaller but profitable business? Is it even conceivable I want to talk to somebody who's seen this from the executive side of things, or at least from an academic research. We're, we're chasing guests now, and I want to have that conversation. So that's that's what people can, can expect next. Consider it parked. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. 
We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Elevin, I want to encourage you to note duly that which must be duly noted. Let's do it. Will you go first? I would love to. I got two. Can we do two? Yeah, let's do two each. Amazing. Okay, the first one, I want to duly note a tweet. I can do that if I want to. You can do whatever you want and duly Thank noted. Thank you. Um, I want... <laughs> Stop saying duly noted. I want to duly note a tweet from Vicky Muchama, she quote retweeted you because you had a tweet where you were like, you know, somebody should be looking into all these sexual harassment allegations um, in Canadian media. And her tweet was like, well, isn't that your job? And listen, I don't, you're making a face. And I, before we get to your face, let me just finish my point. My point is that for better or for worse, you've come to play this role in, in Canadian media. And so people are kind of, curious when they see that tweet coming from you be like jesse i thought that that was a thing that you were doing yeah and so where where are you at where are we at with this right my face was just the inflection was wrong i mean i don't want to you know make presumptions about vicky's inflection but i think her tweet was isn't that supposed to be your job like you just isn't yeah, that, yeah i didn't absolutely that, um, is, that is a correct inflection yeah, I uh, have talked a bit about that tweet on the show and how it could have been worded differently. But absolutely, the point that I was making, I think, is still a good one, is that um, the Weinstein effect, whereby the social media Me Too campaign actually results in the media, the news media, launching investigations into guys who are accused of sexual misconduct and going from sometimes anonymous Me Too uh, information or information that wasn't public on social media to we've looked into this. We verified the details of this claim. We went and found out if other people have allegations about this guy. 
And what we can tell you is that these are credible allegations and there are this many of them and it went on from this period of time to this period of time. And then let's go to the person and get their side of it. And they either say, I'm terribly sorry, I'm going to sex rehab or I deny it and they're all lying, whatever. And we've seen, you know, I have to tell everybody, we've seen this happen again and again and again, but not in the Canadian news media with the exception of Quebec. So to Vicky's point, well, aren't you the guy who did the Gomeshi investigation? Shouldn't this be you? Yes and no. Is that my job? No. The job is emerging in news media. This is actually a beat that like Jody Cantor has in the New York Times. Right. Like that was my big question after Gomeshi. Like, oh, it's a watershed moment. Like, okay, so are we going to do this from now on? Are we going to take these claims seriously and report them? And we didn't. There were cases, but like the papers did not get serious. And usually it would come from the accusers, not from newspapers launching proactive investigations. So there's all this mitigating language that was missing from my tweet, but I haven't seen it happen here. But I mean, like in the wake of the Weinstein story, have you done any of that kind of reporting? Uh, yeah. Because yes and no. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. We have a list uh, of, okay. of, of, of accusations. We have a list of guys. And so we as, your job? as an organization, it is part of Canada Land's job. If I mean, if it falls in media, then it is part of our job to investigate these claims. So, right. And we're doing that. So I think that's absolutely fair and on to hold that mirror up to us and say, what about you guys? And I think I, I, I feel like I can still ask that question of the media at large saying, why aren't you doing what all these American newspapers are doing? All of these organizations that dwarf us in their resources, where are your investigations? And in fact, in certain cases, I know that like us, they are pursuing investigations and they haven't published yet. Yet We haven't published yet either. This is the kind of stuff you want to get right. You are damaging people's reputations when you print these allegations. So you, you better damn well make sure that they're credible. But I know because the Toronto Star dropped the Gomeshi investigation and, and I know other investigations that were dropped by Canada's newspapers that there's not just a question of readiness. There's also a question of it doesn't seem like we have the same will and bravery with it. But people can stay tuned and they should watch our coverage because we are taking this stuff seriously and we are working on a number of stories. Fair. Duly noted. Now you. All right. I have more horrible media news. Okay. Uh, More cynical horrible media news because in the midst of this uh, Torstar Post Media News. The Globe and Mail dropped a little, little, you know, just uh, slipped this into the news cycle. Uh, they're killing their Globe BC section. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a BC specific section. Yeah. If you buy the Globe and Mail in British Columbia, it has a section dedicated to your province. No longer. And they announced it also in a very disingenuous way. Oh, we're sort of folding that coverage into our A section, which is also now where the arts stuff is going to... We broke the story that they were killing their arts section. That's now in effect. It's a two-section newspaper from now on. They're claiming that this is like just a, a formatting decision. It's going to have you know eh, no real effect on the amount of journalism, the amount of coverage that we have of things like arts or British Columbia. I think that that will bear out to be false. And I think that this is going to be a net loss of coverage for British Columbia. Speaking of the Globe and Mail, Christine Dobby had a scoop confirming what I suspected was coming for a long time and what Vice had been denying for a long time, which is that Viceland uh, is in real serious trouble. The TV station that Rogers funded with, I don't know, a $100 million deal. I think $50 million of that was cash from Rogers. Rogers will not be re-upping. They will not be supporting Viceland. Rogers owns 70% of that station. So unless Vice buys it back from Rogers, as Greg O'Brien was tweeting, it's done. We've been trying to get our hands on like accurate ratings. Like I don't know anyone who watches, like you're marketing a TV station to people who don't have TV anymore. So to me, it always felt like a way of just making web video content with Rogers money and feeding their American TV stuff with Rogers money. 
and just squeezing it until that ran dry. To me, a Vice line was always an argument, right? Like it was, it was an argument from Vice to say, we are an all assault unit. We can do air, we can do ground, we can do water, you know? We can do TV and we can do online, we can do whatever format you want in terms of advertising. And so if this is in fact true and we might lose Viceland, that's a crucial part of Vice's argument that they're just this massive empire. To me, Viceland was just the most recent installment in the history of Vice as a hipster Ponzi scheme. <laughs> That's what it is, man. From the start, it's been every now and then some dummy millionaire will hand these people bags of money and say, this is what I want you to do. Is Lewinsky came to them and said, I want you, you're going you're gonna to start a clothing, retail clothing. Like, sure, we'll take your money and we'll start a Vice chain of clothing stores. We'll do that, and we'll keep some of that money, and we'll we'll make your stores. And then that fails, and then they basically went bankrupt, and then they, they pulled it out again. And uh, they've been going from wealthy benefactor to wealthy benefactor and saying, oh, we'll spend your money on whatever you – whatever your uh, – TV, really? There's no way that if they were playing with their own money, Vice would ever have invested in a linear cable television station. It's just Rogers like, we need to somehow try to salvage our linear – cable TV, so we'll, we'll make a deal with Vice, and Vice was, you, was happy you can, to spend their money. But you can see how, at least in principle, the idea was good, right? In principle, taking the, like, hipness and, like, the weird popularity of Vice, like, people who love Vice, like, love it a lot. This idea that the kids love their Vice, I, 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 <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean... Every now and then, some content will, re, will go this viral. This is totally anecdotal. Yeah. Totally anecdotal, but, like, the Vice fanboy friends of mine and they tend to be men yeah they send me a lot of vice content right. because they're like we're super super jazzed about this new vice thing can't argue with that yeah yeah um duly noted nope sorry you're not done yet i had three more things but i can be done duly noted what is your second duly noted uh i want to duly note a long 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 piece yeah i got time i can read what of it um long piece in the guardian i think it was about a week ago it's a really good deep dive into neoliberalism at a moment where neoliberalism seems to be like everyone's favorite boogeyman, you know, like countries are going under because neoliberalism, mm -hmm. factories shutting down because neoliberalism. Damn right. Uh, well, anyway, it's a, it's a great deep dive into not only what the fuck neoliberalism is as, a, as an economic concept, but also the way it's come to be used as like a political tool flung from usually people from the left as an accusation is a bad thing, and then sort of tracing the history of it to how it became this way. It's a really wonderful piece. What's um, it called and who wrote it? Uh, it's called The Fatal Flaw of Neoliberalism, It's Bad Economics, and it's by Danny Roderick. Duly noted. You got I another have, one. I do. Oh, yeah, let's do it. And like you, I too read long articles and am smart. <laughs> you don't have to brag about it, God. I want to uh, just alert people to a piece of journalism that should be getting more attention, which is um, a story in McLean's by Ann Kingston about revelations that the health ministry uh, under former health minister Jane Philpott was actually like doing some kind of secret conspiring with the private blood plasma industry to bring in blood plasma clinics for pay. In Canada, and, and and she'd made claims that suggested that she had not, I didn't even know their business strategies. This is like a long story, and actually Commons covered this, and um, 
what this involves is, is it goes back to the tainted blood scandal where paying people for blood resulted in people contracting HIV and it resulted in recommendations that we should not be doing this. We should be running this as part of our public health system. And because of our public health system, Canadian blood plasma is really, really highly valued, right? Because we run a system where we're not trying to pay $25 to people who are in desperate situations. Right. We are known internationally for having a uh, very clean blood supply. And so that creates a market opportunity for these private clinics to move in and try to push against these government recommendations. And what, what Ann Kingston reveals in this McLean story is that uh, the government has actually been working with these private clinics to kind of subvert the public system and introduce these clinics throughout Canada. It's, it's pretty shocking. That's and fascinating. That's really high stakes. It is high stakes stuff. And it's, uh, it's something people should read. And it's in McLean's. Duly noted. Elamine, we're going to take a moment to thank a couple of sponsors here. It is the gift-giving season. Yes, it is. Is it not? Yes. You can't, you, you can't deny that. What did you get me? I'm going to give you some advice. I'm actually going to give you something. I'm going to give you a piece of information that is going to be worth $20 to you and to everyone listening if they use the app Giftagram. What a man. Yeah. What a gift. <laughs> Giftagram is the Canadian company that makes it easy to be thoughtful. You download this app onto your mobile device and they've curated a bunch of gifts at every price point for anybody like you might want to buy a gift for. Just that, like you're going through things that you're probably going to want to give to somebody and you're going to have to buy gifts anyhow. So here you are, rather than going through a mall and spending a day, it's just like, oh, there's, I just went through 30 gifts at the under $50 level and boom, that's the one that's going to suit this person. And then you just enter in their email address and you're done. They get a notification. Jesse's just bought you this wonderful gift. They enter in the shipping address because you don't know, maybe they want to get it at work. That sounds super helpful. It's very helpful. The gift arrives in three to five days. I did this, the gift arrived the next day. And here's the part that is my gift to you, Elamine. You are going to get $20 off your first gift purchase. If you go to the Apple App Store or Google Play, download Giftogram and use the promo code CanadaLand when you use Giftogram. Going to do that today. Thanks, man. And this episode is brought to you, Elamine, by Second City. What better way to introduce confidence to young people, Elamine, than by providing them a safe space to be themselves. That is what the Second City Comedy Camps offer over the winter break. This is an issue parents have. The kids are at home. Like, this is a really interesting thing you can do. You can send your kid to comedy camp over the winter break. These are welcoming and inclusive comedy camps. If you've got a shy kid and you want them to come out of their shell, if you've got a performative kid and you want to channel that, then this is the place. Kids in grades 2 through 12 are welcome at comedy camp. It requires zero experience, great way to make new friends and learn to laugh at themselves. Improv allows people to fail without judgment, without embarrassment. These winter camps run from December 27th to the 29th, and then again from January 2nd to January 5th. And it's a full day thing from 9 to 5 each day that your kids are in there. Elamine, you will get a discount on early registration if you enroll by December 1st. Visit secondcity.com slash TC for more info and to register. Well, I mean, it's important for us to uh, remain informed about climate change, the most pressing issue perhaps of our age. And so I try to read everything I can, which is why I read Joe Oliver. Why? The former finance minister. And minister of natural and resources. minister of natural resources. Might know a thing or two about climate change. You know, uh, when he speaks, I listen. And he wrote a piece... In the Financial Post, did you happen to catch that article? I did, with great interest and delight and um, excitement. 
what did you think of this piece? Just, just get right in there. I would say that it was the old man yells at clouds of climate change pieces. Here's how I would describe it. A man desperate to overthrow the orthodoxy. A man who's ready to challenge the common understanding. A man who's out on a mission, really, to <laughs> introduce really bad thoughts into the public. The headline was, ranting about climate change isn't good government policy and isn't convincing anyone. First of all, it is an almost incomprehensibly written piece of writing. It's also definitely a rant. So for a piece that has ranting is a bad thing in the headline, it is most definitely a rant. It is. And it's obviously like it's just like this is coming from a very specific political place, a throwback to Harper era. Policymakers should just be supporting Canadian fossil fuel industry at any cost. And whatever messaging gets you there, but the messaging changes because the messaging just just be completely like, like climate change denial. Then it became skepticism. And now it's morphed into this bizarre rhetoric. Like, I don't even know like how to summarize this piece. I'll read the ending here. Against all odds, climate change believers might adopt an approach that better reflects the needs of Canadians and the economic and scientific knowns and unknowns. Unfortunately, we are probably condemned to a dialogue of the deaf until we definitively confront environmental tragedy or don't. Thanks, Joe. I'm going to try to summarize the points that he makes. Like, I'm not going to quote the whole damn thing, but I, I, I tried you to shouldn't. like- it's very long. I tried to condense it. And here's my summary of the points. The public doesn't care because the rhetoric is too extreme. So we need to tone down the rhetoric so that the public will care. But maybe the public shouldn't care because polar bears are basically okay and you know, the warming has stopped and all those crazy weather events, they're not any more frequent than they used to be. That's not really a thing anymore. And the climate change models are all either exaggerated or just plain wrong. That's a direct quote. But okay, maybe, Joe Oliver says, maybe man-made change is happening. I'll concede that. It's happening, but we don't know how badly it's happening. That's where the science is at, says Joe Oliver. And anyhow, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing because plants find greenhouse gases to be delicious. Oh, that's right. He praises the benefits of greenhouse gases. So if you think about it that way, we don't really know how much man-made changes, you know, greenhouse gases have an upside. So maybe the stakes are actually pretty low, except the stakes are so high, he writes. So we need to get this right and do the right thing, by which I mean we shouldn't do anything, writes Joe Oliver, because even if we did things, we here in Canada with our policies couldn't make that much of carbon you know, cap and trade. We, we couldn't make that much of a difference anyhow. So like doing the right thing means not doing much. Except that would make a huge difference because it would cost Canada a fortune. So we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do anything. And anyhow, we're doomed to have a terrible debate about this until we solve it for good or don't. That was a really great summary, actually. That was. I I'm, think I've not shelled it. I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you sort of captured every bad thought in that piece. I found it interesting that Joe Oliver is picking up on these, like, you know, caricature ideas of what climate change is. You know, like, at a certain point, of course, he's got to mention that the polar bears are fine. Like, that's not what we're talking about, Joe. That's not what anyone is talking about when it comes to climate change at this particular moment. What we're talking about is, like, okay, maybe Joe Oliver will luck out and listen to this. And, like, I know so little about climate change because there's so much research out there that you could spend the rest of your life reading it. But here's what I do know. I do know that, uh, for example, if there are more rainstorms 
in a year. Toronto might have three or four more rainstorm days a year. And like, that's not that bad to you and I because we live in downtown Toronto. But what if you lived in a poor neighborhood that had poor sewer systems um, and therefore causes flooding and therefore diseases go up in that poor neighborhood? That is something that is happening in Atlanta that was uh, reported in Gizmodo like a month ago. Mm-hmm. We do know that in about 100 years, if the temperatures on Earth go up just two degrees, then we'll have more extreme weather events. Those tend to affect poorer countries more often than they do in Canada. So, yeah, for sure, you might not feel it, Joe, but I think there are real people in the world that do feel it. And we all we know, we know for sure that climate change is something that disproportionately affects. Why am I arguing with Joe Oliver? Dude, He's not even in the stop. room. Stop. It's 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 like <laughs> I'm getting mad. What is truth? Like at what point do we just say it's happening on any level you like it's it, on the anecdotal level, on the like, holy shit, I'm wearing a T-shirt and it's December level. It's happening in the like every month there is some insane weather event in the world, like like the frequency of that. Like, And then it's like, oh, yeah, but that's just anecdotal. What is this? The science confirms it as well. I think keeping the public in a permanent state of befuddlement and baffled, uh, you know, like like and he's right in one sense, which is just that like. The rhetoric being so high and the action being so low, people just ultimately throw up their hands like, you know, I know about jobs or I care about this, but what do you want me to do? And nobody has any clear direction about it. And I think that this type of irresponsible publishing, this type of irresponsible opinion, it's just tactics. It's just tactics to, to, to just throw a lot of bullshit into the mix and just keep this a confusing topic that people walk away from. But you know what? He does raise the point that we should grapple with, which is that the concern about climate change is going down. That's something that he brings up in the piece. And I wonder to what extent is that like a failure on our part, on the media's part, to effectively communicate the stakes to people, to be like, oh, my God, you really should care. Because, yeah, there's a lot of alarmist for good reason. I say alarmist. um, Alarming. Yeah, I I was going to say alarmist borrowing his language, but like really like it's very alarming events that are happening. And so what have we failed to do as an estate, as a pillar of society, Yeah, the media, in order to communicate effectively the, the people should be concerned? It's really broken. Truth is broken. Like, like, like I am skeptical of his numbers. Like, like really, the public concern in, in, in global warming is going down? There like, were American numbers that sort of corresponded with it, so I'm not especially surprised. I guess. I mean, it, it feels like this has moved from something that people in on the environmentalist left cared about to something that is, like, widely and popularly understood to be like, oh, yeah, weather is fucked now. Like, everybody gets that now, I think. But, you know, there's maybe a disconnect between knowing that and feeling like, you know, like, but how, how engaged are you with this? How much do you care about this? Or, or to what extent do Canadians secretly kind of dig it because it's, uh, it's warmer here? I mean, that's a thing that people say. Like, that's a, that's a thing that people are like, oh my God, it'll be nicer in December. And it's like, no, you fucking idiot. Some countries will, will drown. Like, will complete. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Joe Oliver. Thank you for this piece. Thank you Thank for you. my rage. Love having rage this morning. Thank you, Elamine. That's your Candleland Shortcuts. <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hope everybody enjoyed it. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. And we're on Twitter at Canadaland. Elamine, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Elamine88. That's E-L-A-M-I-N-88. 
follow me. Let's hang out. You can subscribe to our other shows, our politics show, Commons. We're searching for a new host, and uh, you can follow that journey. And uh, The Imposter is putting out some fantastic episodes, uh, the most recent one about Aaliyah Bhavani performing her first five-minute set of comedy in front of an audience. Spoiler alert, she's good. Check those out. And this episode is produced by Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land to community and campus radio stations across this country is handled by CFUV in Victoria, 101.9 FM. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Maybe like us on Facebook. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a campside media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.